Today's Army List is brought to you by our eternal sponsors, Totino's Pizza Rolls, and our weekly sponsor, Budget Burials. That is Budget Burials Funeral Service. Bury them cheaper and deeper for less. Let's get right onto the list here. Let's go over the components here, and then we'll talk about why this list works. This is going to be free folks at 40 points led by Mance Raider. List is as follows. A unit of Free Folk Trappers with Mance Raider King Beyond the Wall. A unit of Free Folk Trappers with Raid Leader. A single Savage Giant. A unit of Free Folk Raiders with Raid Leader. A unit of Free Folk Raiders with Raid Leader. A unit of Free Folk Raiders with Raid Leader. A unit of Free Folk Raiders. A unit of Free Folk Raiders. A unit of Free Folk Raiders. And a single non-combat unit in Lady Val, the Wildling Princess. This list was constructed using available units at the time. So we're not going to have any um, Cave Dweller Savages or any new releases past that. This is purely made out of starter box components and things of that nature. So that's what we have. So the first things to note on this list is that it is spamming bodies across the table with a total of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 combat units and a single NCU, which is immediately going to make people go, oh my god, this list is crap. So let's delve into why this list works. Uh, first off, we have our commander, Mance Raider, King Beyond the Wall. Very key piece to this army. He has his inspiring presence ability, which is a uh, morale 6-plus bubble that's basically going to form the center of your army. His unit should never, ever in their life see combat, which is why we're sticking him into a unit of Free Folk Trappers, so they can sit behind a giant wall of bodies, still shoot, still contribute, and still trigger their hidden traps ability on units that are activating within long range to deal some additional wounds. Frankly, any unit that we currently stick him in is probably going to just evaporate if it ever sees combat, so we don't want that in the slightest, which is why we're going to stick him in a unit that we don't plan on getting engaged with to begin with. Um, I currently believe that that is the best place to stick him, is the unit of trappers, until other options come out. Uh, we have two units of trappers. They are mainly there to harass the enemy, to uh, you know shoot guys in the flank, to really get off that hidden traps ability to take down any solo units such as dire wolves, mountain that rides, um, other giants, things of that nature. They're a harassment unit. Neither one of them should ever see combat. The second unit of trappers has a raid leader in there, and that's actually something I haven't seen a lot of people doing, and I question why because they're almost a perfect unit to stick him in because he's a single point, and for those that aren't aware, his ability is Order Combined Assault. When this unit activates, you target another friendly unactivated unit within long range, and they activate immediately after the unit, with the caveat that any attacks they make have to target the same enemy that this unit attacked. So if you stick this into a standard Raider unit, they're going to commit to getting engaged in melee with a single unit, and that's where they're going to be. The Trappers, they have a ranged attack. So they can actually kind of pick and choose their targets to where they're going to attack. Now it's short range, so yeah, your options are a little limited. But frankly, you have the mobility in this army to get to where you need to and set this up. So, you know, it's just, it's a nice little investment there because you have this unit activating. They can take some shots in the flank, harass some guys, reposition themselves, and then, you know, make it so your other units can get in there. And the thing about this army is that every single one of your units that you have in here is crap, okay? You need to understand that they're crap. By themselves, they're not good. They're three points, four points, insignificant units that do not give victory points. You actually only have one unit in your entire army worth any victory points, and it is a sa single savage giant. So that's something to understand. Every life in this army is completely expendable if it is not named Mance Raider. So bury them in bodies. 
The other thing that people are going to notice about this list is that it is a single non-combat unit. That is it. That is simply put because I want more bodies on the table. I value putting more crap out here to bog down my opponent than I do an NCU in this list. Specifically, because NCUs are really good if you have units that are, you know, anywhere good that you give the extra benefits for on the tactics board. An extra attack on any of these units, not really going to matter. An extra move on this unit. Okay, Val can already make me do that. More so, I've got tactics cards and abilities that allow me to circumvent that anyway. But the thing is, is that the tactics board is really good for units, uh, for armies that have units that they actually care about. I don't care about anything in this list, okay? If a unit dies, so be it. Sacrifice to the cause. And that's actually why I want to give a run-through of the Free Folk Tactics cards here, because frankly, the Tactics cards and my Commander's cards and my General Mindset are far going to be more important than the units that I have on the table with this specific army. Because this army is just a horde of bodies, okay? That's not really going to... You know, I don't care about any of them. They're there to get objectives. They're there to tie enemy units up. And my opponent, hopefully, cares about their units in some way. I don't. My job is to get there and tie you up if I can't kill you, or just gang rush you to death if I think I can, or when I set myself up to do that. My tactics cards are way more important than any single combat unit I have. And, yeah, I know what you're thinking in that case. Okay, well, if your tactics cards are important, that means you want to be claiming the letter zone of the tactics board a lot, right? Sure. I mean... Val doesn't really care where she goes. I can always replace it with a free maneuver if, you know, I need to. And the thing is, is that, you know, okay, let's look at the tactic board breakdown. Claiming the crown zone. I really don't care about that. If my opponent is playing Lannisters and they want to claim the crown zone and zap one of my units, Mance is giving me a 6+. So yeah, I'll take some damage. But again, you're claiming a crown zone here to zap a unit that has a 6+, save. And at then, the best case scenario is you're zapping a 4-point unit. Okay, whatever. You're going to claim the healing zone, uh, you know, our little wealth zone. Okay, sure, I might actually want to stop you on that one. And I might claim that zone myself to heal some of my guys up, but frankly, I almost consider that a waste. Uh, the tactics zone, to get more tactics cards. That's frankly going to be the number one that I'm going to go after most of the time, because I want more tactics cards, because they're going to give me more options to make you worse. And then I'm going to be able to put down the condition token. That is also something that... I highly, highly value with this army because it is going to give me the ways to circumvent uh, the problems that I'm going to come across. The combat zone. Okay, everyone loves the combat zone. The thing is, I've got cards in my deck that let me simulate the combat zone already, and one of my units getting an extra attack off, not really going to matter too much in the long run. I mean, it's better that I get it versus my opponent. But the thing is, even if my opponent gets it, they're going to use it to try to kill a three-point, four-point raider unit. Uh, the thing I want to note is that I'm not really considering a lot of my trappers in this because they should not be seeing combat. If my opponent has managed to get into combat with one of my trapper units, I have messed up tactically, especially Mance's unit. That should be the single hardest target in the entire army for them to get to and should be protected at every single cost. So again, if they get to that, then I have messed up royally in some way. Uh, the maneuver zone. Okay, I care about that one, but again, Val lets me replace any zone that I want with that effect. So, you know, that's another thing, is I don't really care when Val goes in the round, unless it's super advantageous for me to go early, because at any point, I can replace it with just the maneuver effect and get extra movement, which is going to benefit me. So there's no such thing as me having a dead zone. And, you know, that's just a mindset to get into, is that as far as the tactics board goes, yeah, these things are all really nice, and if I had better units that I actually cared about, I would care about them more, but... You know, I would rather have more bodies on the table. 
absolutely more bodies on the table. Because frankly, I'm going to expect to have heavy casualties each game regardless of what I do. And I need to be able to replace those bodies with more bodies. And frankly, that's what this list is setting out to do. Which brings us back to the tactics cards and why they are so fundamentally important for this army to function here. I'm going to get into the individual units here a little bit later, but looking at the tactics cards and why Mance is working with his Horde army. So I'm going to go down all the tactics cards one by one. We're going to finish up with Mance's cards, and that's going to kind of bind everything together here. So the first one we have is Group Assault. Uh, when a friendly unit makes a melee attack, if there's another friendly unit engaged, we're going to gain Critical Blow and Sundering. Now we actually have some potential to make attacks because we have our raiders that are already going to get plus one to hit when I'm ganging up. I'm going to be throwing six dice with a three plus. I'm going to gain sundering and critical blow. This is also one of the reasons why if I'm running just straight spamming units over and over here again, why I would not take spear wives in this list specifically because I am already have a source of, of sundering, which they have. And this is going to give me critical blow on top of that. Now, I really do like Spearwives, and I actually thought about replacing the giant in this list with a unit of Spearwives and changing it around a bit. But I want to run this list with a single giant in here because we'll get to that in a bit. But I feel a single giant actually works, but I don't want to run more of them because they don't synergize at all with my tactics cards. Hordes of guys synergize well with this list specifically. So critical blow and sundering are going to give me some tools to actually add some oomph and killing power into a unit that I would otherwise be lacking. The goal of every single unit in this list is not to kill guys. It's to claim objectives and hold out while whittling the opponent down. But, of course, I'm going to need to kill guys at some point just because that's the nature of you know combat and war. So here, this is going to give me the tools to do so. Next one, there's too many. When enemy combat unit activates, and there are two more enemies engaged with the unit, they suffer a panic test with minus two to their roll. This is a situational tool that's still going to help me. It's basically going to give me a Lannister Supremacy if I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. Um, and more so, it's going to be happening when the enemy activates, so therefore I can knock them down on the counterattack before they get a chance to actually swing back on me and deal me some extra damage. Because I'm running a bunch of raid leaders, I can position myself so anytime I need a unit to be engaged with two enemies, I can make that happen. There should seldom be a situation that comes up where I cannot get it to where two enemies are going to engage into a single unit. And really, you should be dedicating about three of your combat units to every single one of the enemy combat units' main threats. Remember, your guys are three points. Most combat units in the game are going to be averaging six plus points. So if you go with them with two units of you know, raiders at six points, you're on even footing, but you never want to be on even footing with the opponent. You want to be slightly better. That's where your tactics cards and those things are going to come up. A big major mistake that I see a lot of people playing with Free Folk is that they, for some reason, get this mindset that their three-point unit should be able to take on really, like, anything. And that's just not the case. It's going to take two of your units dedicated to go and take someone down. So if you're not running them in pairs and treating them as one big unit, well, reevaluate how you're doing. And frankly, time is on your side. You have, you know, enough manpower enough units where once the actual combat gets bogged down and the units are getting tied up, you're going to shine. You can play Free Folk as an Alpha Strike army, but if you wait for the opponent to get into bad positions, which the longer the game goes on, the better it's going to favor you to have those positions and situations come up because you're going to have way more mobility than most other armies, you, that's going to favor you. If the raw combat in your games does not start till, around, till rounds three to four, or you know four to five that's going to favor you immensely in most game modes because keep in mind 
everything your opponent is killing this army is worthless to them in any way, shape, or form. Meanwhile, everything you're killing is taking away limited resources from your opponent that they you, you're outnumbering them hopefully two to one here, and is granting you victory points. There's no rush to kill guys. You have six rounds to do it in. Okay, it doesn't matter if you kill all those guys in round two or in round six. You know, that's that's the important thing. You require a lot of setup here to get off your stuff off. It's like a tidal wave. Or a little actually it's like a little tsunami building up, okay? It can deal some damage when it starts. But the longer it sits there and gestates and builds up and everything, it's going to come crashing down onto an enemy. And that's, I think, something that a lot of people have not really figured out about Free Focus because they get really bloodthirsty. They think, man, I outnumber you two to one. I can just slam in there and everything I lose, whatever, I'm still two to one. Okay, now we're fighting one to one. Okay, now you're outnumbering me and I lost. What happened? Well, you gave up your advantage too early. Again, you got to be a little patient, just like Mance was. He didn't just all of a sudden go and send his hordes out and everything. He slowly built up his forces. He positioned his forces. He waited until just the moment was correct and the time was right. Because even though he was fighting against the Night Watch, which he drastically outnumbered, he knew that if he just went straight up and attacked them, that his guys would lose. A little side story there. Let's get back to the tactics cards. Distraction tactics. When enemy combat unit, uh, when enemy unit makes a melee attack, the unit suffers minus one to hit for each enemy, engage them beyond the first. This is the first one of your defensive cards that you have, and frankly, in this list, it's just going to be more of a frustration thing than anything else, because, as I said, you really don't care too much about what you are losing, but this can really shift the dynamic of attack, because minus one to hit by itself is already subtracting 16% from everything that your opponent is hitting. You get them engaged with three units, which, granted, will be a little tricky to do, then you're reducing most units in the game to only hitting you on a Six plus, which is going to cause basically no damage. That's your kind of pie-in-the-sky scenario, but even reducing them by one, you are going to take them down 16%. Moving something from hitting on a 4 plus to a 5 plus is crippling. Moving something from hitting from a 3 plus to a 4 plus, okay, that's not the, you know, the worst thing in the world because you're moving them from 66 to 50%, and most of those combat units are scary anyway, but every little bit helps. Swift advance. When a friendly infantry unit activates, you get a free maneuver action. This is bringing us to the first examples here of why I really don't care too much about tactics board control is because I can simulate most of the effects that I need to have happening through my tactics cards or the effects of my NCUs. Swift Advance is going to give me mobility, which is going to be the, one of the most important things for my army to function. I don't need to claim the maneuver zone on the tactics board. I have a tactics card that allows me to do this. I've got another NCU that allows me to replace it anytime I want. So there we go. Surrounded and Exposed. This is one of my key cards in the deck, and this is one of the ones that you have as your ace in the hole, and you need to you need to learn when to use this card correctly. Um, at the start of any turn, you target an enemy combat unit. If you have two or more friendly units within short range, it doesn't even have to be engaged, that enemy loses all abilities that turn. If you control the maneuver zone, the enemy also gains one condition token, which is also nice, but so much of a secondary effect versus that first one. Turning off the abilities of a unit is huge and is paramount to turning an opponent's plan into something that would be a surefire, man, I'm going to make him lose the game, to, well, crap, I'm wasting this turn. And this is getting back to my central mindset here. When it comes to playing the Free Folk, it is all about making your opponent squander their resources and make it so anything they do is just wasting their own time. We're going to get more to that in a second, but that's another mindset that I really want you to get into, specifically when playing a Mance Horde army. Speaking of hordes, the Endless Horde, when you claim a tactic zone, replace the zone's effect with 
Well, basically you redeploy a previously destroyed infantry unit if you control the maneuver zone. Then they deploy without an activation token. Okay, this is actually one of the ones where it's important to claim the maneuver zone um, to get that effect. Um, otherwise, they're going to come into play already activated, which can be okay, but this is much better in an army where we're running some other combat units. That would be a little bit better than all the jank that we're actually throwing in here. So while this is nice to be able to bring back a unit in this specific army, it's really one that I'm like kind of lackluster about because, again, we're just running bodies here. We're not running any impressive combat units. So therefore, I'm like, yeah, this could be better played or better function in another army. Is it useful? Absolutely, because you're still bringing back, you know, between three to four points here. But the point is, is that there's no single unit in the army that I really care about here. So this card is just kind of meh in this list specifically. Regroup and reform. When a friendly entry unit activates, remove up to four models from other friendly units within long range and stick them back in this unit. Control mover zone, restore two additional wounds. This is another tar pit card here, and that's what you need to play it as. If you're restoring wounds to a unit with the idea that, man, they're going to turn around and kill something now, you're playing the wrong list. This card is really good. Again, going back to those other style of lists where you have some scary combat units, that is not the list you're playing here. This in this list, this card specifically becomes a I'm going to bog you down even further card. Restoring up to a full rank to a unit means that any enemy they're engaged with has to devote that many more resources to taking them down. And I know a lot of people are sitting there and going to go say, yeah, but it's only a 5-plus defense. Remember that you were playing Mance Raider, 6-plus morale. Okay, I know that brings it to average compared to Starks, but compared to a lot of other armies, like you know our neutral list right now, or our Lannister list, or you know say our mirror match free folk, you know, six plus is above average. And that's something to remember as well. Six plus morale is above average. If you're not playing against Lannisters, if you're playing against an army that doesn't have any morale negation effects, that means that basically, on average, you are not going to be taking any damage from most morale tests that you are forced, or panic tests that you are forced to take. So, yeah, you've got a five plus defense, but you're also not suffering damage from the majority of panic tests that you're running. So, something to remember. And this list specifically, this card is specifically just used to bog down units. Don't use it with the intent of, like, man, I'm going to kill guys. We've got other lists for that. Basically, if you want to run some scarier combat units that actually pose real threats, that's that's a good card to have in there. That one, Endless Horde. Different play styles, though. Now let's get into Mance's card specifically, which really kind of a capstone why I only, I'm only running one NCU in this list and why I believe that this is viable. So Wildling Diplomacy. Also one of my favorite cards in the game, by the way. When enemy NCU activates, select two zones on the tactics board. If the NCU claims either of those zones, deal one enemy combat unit D3 plus two wounds. If the enemy combat zone is within, uh, sorry, if the enemy combat unit is within short range of Mance Raider, they also gain one condition token. The secondary effect there is again just a buff. Um, this right here is your first element of controlling what your opponent does. So yeah, that's great. They have more NCUs than you. Maybe they're running three. You play this card when NCU activates, you're going to give them a terrible choice here. Okay, you want to claim one of these zones that really scares me? That's fine. I'm going to punish you for it. D3 plus two wounds is a lot. Okay, if they're running any type of solo unit, then you can just pretty much outright kill them. This outright kills direwolves, mountain that rides. This kills 66% of the time. Um, some other things coming up potentially kills outright as well. But even on the standard infantry unit, you have a 66% chance to outright remove a rank, which can be devastating to most units and bring the playing field down, you know, to an even level. So this is your first element of control here. Next card, meticulous planning. 
Start of a friendly turn. Discard this card and one other tactics card. Search your tactics set for any one card at your hand. Shuffle your deck afterwards. Okay, this is again going to go back to explain why your tactics cards are so important. And this is a key feature here to be able to just get the one you need when you need it. Now, luckily, with the tactics deck that you have here, there's not a lot of cards that are going to be I need this card immediately here to win or lose the game, but this card just really helps you deal with issues. You can really pull out the um, surrounded and exposed card if you need to, which requires a little bit of setup because um, you know to use. But really, surrounded exposure you're going to be using majority on the enemy turn. Meticulous planning you're going to be using on your turn because that's the trigger for it. So yeah, your opponent is going to know that you have the card, but there's a lot of times where you know there's not a damn well a lot they can do about it. So. This is also going to allow you to pull out Wildling Diplomacy when you did, Regroup and Reform. Just, again, cycling through your deck and being able to pull whatever you need when the situation arises. That is such a powerful effect, and this is giving you a free tutor for anything you need. So this is where it comes down to knowing your deck and knowing each situation that you're going to come into and why that's so important. Last card that Mance is bringing to the table is Predictable Maneuvers. Start of enemy turn, if they have two plus unactivated combat units, target one enemy combat unit. If that enemy activates this turn, before they perform their action, one friendly unit will make a free attack action. And if they're within short range of Mance Raider, they also gain a condition token. So first off, you'll also see that Mance is throwing around condition tokens, which I did praise earlier. This is the second card, though, that you have access to that's giving you the simulation of an effect on the tactics board. And I know there's some people that are going, well, yeah, if it's simulating the effect of the tactics board, then that means doubling down on that effect would be so much better. So man, why am I not running three NCUs? Your units are crap. Please, like in this list, your units are crap. Getting the giant to get extra attacks, it's nice. Um, but he's not going to carry. And frankly, if the opponent's devoting resources to focus on the giant, that's actually why he's in the list is a big old distraction. But <laughs> but this is going to give me the simulated effect of the combat zone from the tactics board, giving me a free attack. Uh, that's more so pushing me in the direction here that I really just don't feel a need to run extra NCUs to, to get that, because I can fight my opponent for the tactics board, but then I'm just trying to play a little bit of a denial game with them, and I don't care. Like I, None of my units making an individual attack is really going to matter to me that much. Here, I'm getting it at least just for you know free if my opponent's giving me the option. And I know the counter-argument to that is going to be, well, if you don't care about it, the attack so much, then that means this card is a bit of a waste. And that's a negative Nancy attitude, first off, good sir. Second off, it's a tactical decision here. Um, I'm forcing my opponent into a bad position if I do this correctly, or if you know I play this at just the right time. Because this is going to allow me to hit them before they hit me. I can knock a unit down. Um, and I can get some really good benefits. I will say out of the three cards that Mance is bringing to the table, this one here is the weaker of the three in this specific list. Because again, going back to that mindset of, I don't really have any units in this army that I really care about them attacking too much. That being said, let's actually talk about some combos and strategies with the units that we have. So again, we have one non-combat unit in this army. Hopefully you've gathered, uh, sorry, you've gathered so much in your head as to why I'm just running one NCU is because I value table presence above anything else with this specific list because I am running just a list full of just a bunch of just cheap crappy bodies. I need as many of those as I possibly can get in here. And even though a lot of the uh, wildling and free folk NCUs are cheap at three points, 
I want the bodies, okay? I would much rather have another, you know, 12 uh, HP raiders that I can go and lock down a combat unit with for at least a, even a round or so, rather than the extra NCU activation. Because the extra activation, I already outnumber them with that, and I'm already running raid leaders so I can manipulate that around. Um, I would much rather have a unit that I can go and throw into another combat unit here and just have them get tied up for potentially a game round. If I can do that for three points, I value that effect way more than anything on the tactics board. So that's my justification for one non-combat unit. Uh, frankly, uh, there's some people I've seen run a list like this where they run zero. That's a little excessive to me. I wouldn't run zero, but one, definitely viable here. Why all the raid leaders? Why not something like a Spearwife Matriarch or Tormund in here? So first off, Tormund, he goes in units that are actually good at fighting things. That's again, not the point of this list. So he goes in a different style of list. Once I get some Cave Dweller Alphas, or sorry, Cave Dweller Savages or other combat units that actually can pack a punch, that turns into a different style of army I'm gonna be running. And that's where Tormund's gonna have a spot. In this list right here, no single unit is going to make or break my entire army, so therefore I don't really want to make them a target in any way by sticking Torment in there. Plus, Torment is two points, which in this list is pretty expensive because I've got units that I can run for three. Um, Spearwife Matriarch. That's good for keeping a unit alive. If I was running a unit that I cared about, I would much rather keep them alive, but I don't, so therefore she's right out of there as well. The only unit in this entire army that I care about keeping alive in any way, shape, or form is that one unit of trappers that has Mance Raider in it. And yes, that's going to become a prime target for the opponent, but they've got to be able to get to him in some way. I mean, yeah, they can crown zap him a bunch, I suppose, if they're Lannister, but, you know, I can heal that up. And plus, again, I've got a 6 plus morale, so even if they crown zap me with Cersei, yeah, she's giving me a minus 3, which is going to put me in a 9, but that means I'm going to lose an average of 2 wounds every time they do it. They can only do it so many times, and I've got enough effects to heal myself back up. Again, this unit should never see combat. You can sacrifice anything else in the army that you want, except that unit. The other question people have is they go, you're only running one Savage Giant. Um, isn't that going to make him a hard target? By God, yes, it is going to make him a hard target, and that's exactly what I want my opponent to look at him and go. I want them to devote as many resources as they possibly can to taking down that one Savage Giant, because I'm only running one Savage Giant. That is his whole purpose in the list, because it creates a do-or-die situation for the opponent. Either they're going to target him, and that means they're not targeting something else, or they're going to ignore him, and then he can do what he wants. So it's win-win for me. The thing about the Giant is that they're not the hardest thing in the world to take down, but it still devotes resources to, because you're not going to be able to panic them down. You're not going to be able to hit them with you know, morale tests or anything and panic checks to take them down. You're going to have to go up and kill them. And that usually means your opponent's going to devote something scary to go after that giant, which is fine because the giant can hold his own fairly well. But usually your opponent's going to take you know their big killer unit of Umber Great Axes or Pyromancers or Berserkers, um, or, well, not veterans, but, you know, Sworn Brothers, something like that, they're going to send that unit after the giant. And that's fine. I would love for them to devote resources to killing that giant, because that means that everything else that I have, they're not paying attention to, or devoting resources toward which means I can position and get things better in place. I would absolutely love it if they charge and kill the giant and get themselves out of a position to allow my Free Folk Raider units to then swarm on them. That's exactly the point. Here's the other thing as well. This list is very seldomly going to win in just a straight-up fight because, as I said before, don't fight fair in any situation and play to your objectives, okay? 
This list should have the manpower to be able to get to the objectives, to be able to get them fairly quickly, to be able to claim them and keep them. The issue that you might have is if you're fighting another fast army that gets on objectives, a lot of questions can come up. It's like, okay, how do I dislodge a unit that is on an objective? Let's say they park a unit of flayed men on an objective, and what do I do now? They've got two plus defense, they're going to cause vicious critical blow, they can just wipe through my units. Well, there's other objectives of the map, so you might want to abandon that one. But let's say that's a really key prime one that they have to get onto. You might need to just sit there and just deal with it for a couple rounds of like, yeah, let them have the victory points. But that's the thing, is I see a lot of people, they sit there and go, yeah, but if they sit there on the point, they're going to get, you know, they're going to winning. It's going to balance out in the end. Keep in mind that the game goes six rounds. You don't have to win on round three. doesn't matter if you win on round three or round six, as long as the opponent hasn't won before you. There's not a single unit in your entire army outside of a single giant that is worth any victory points. They can kill as many of them as they want. But you kill that unit, you're going to get a victory point, and then claim the objective. So usually my advice with Flademen is they're going to be a 10-point unit. I kind of just ignore them. And if they're going to take an objective, congrats, you own that objective. It's all yours. I'm going to go focus on other ones. But if I need to take the objective, it might behoove you to sit there and just, you know, let them have a couple victory points, you know, tanking on that objective for a few rounds. Obviously, you can't let them claim every objective and do that because then you're going to lose the game. But if they're devoting major resources to any single place on the map, go somewhere else. Um, but let's say you don't have the situation that uh, or the you know, luxury of doing that, and you actually have to, you know, take those flayed men down somehow. Well, again, you might need to sacrifice a couple of rounds just getting your guys into position. Wait for a round where at the end of the round you're going to have the extra activation, and then you're going to be first player next round to get the double attack in. Get your tactics cards ready. You know, get everything that you have prepared here. You know, get Mance's cards up there so you can sit there and hit them with a um wild or sorry a, a sorry where you can set up meticulous planning to get the tactics cards you need. You know, surrounded and exposed is really going to be nasty on them. Pulling out a uh, there's too many is going to hurt as well. Group assault to give your guys sundering and critical blow. Sundering plus hitting them in the flanks. It doesn't matter if they've got two plus save. It's going to be reduced down to a four plus. The giants, you know, the one that you have. He can hurt flayed men, but they're going to be afraid of him. I mean, I promise you that. Like people who are playing flayed eh, men... They're going to be afraid of anything that causes automatic wounds because it's going to bypass that precious 2-plus defense. So they're going to be scared of him. They're going to devote resources to going after him. And odds are, if they're Flademen, they're probably not going to kill him in one go. So you're going to get that swing back. And that's going to be another time where you can throw down your predictable maneuvers. And a giant swinging back, you know, that's actually something to be afraid of because he can swing in, he's going to get hit and take some wounds, and then he's going to activate and he can cause some major trouble. It's a mind game when you're playing with Wildlings, and that's something you really need to get in the head of, and Mance will definitely teach you to do that. Um, it might be a slow process for you. You know, you might be losing a ton of games before you actually get into the right mindset about this, but once you do, it's really scary. And I actually like this list a lot if you are trying to learn Free Folk, because it's going to help you break a lot of the mental chains that playing other factions have built up around you. Like going, oh, I've got to run X number of NCUs. You know, I've got to protect my combat units. I've got to care about my stuff. You don't have to do any of that with Free Folk. You can run one NCU. You can even... Don't run zero, but you can run one. You can just not care about your units, kind of. You still have to care about them, but you don't care if you lose them. 
It's a very thin line. It's a kind of razor's edge mentality you need to get into. You need to be able to look at your opponent's list and go, this is what they're running. This is how I counter that. And it's going to be different game to game. A lot of people are going to come in with this uh, a list of this type and go, I'm going to use the same strategy every single time I play. That's a terrible idea. This list is adaptive to whatever um, enemy is coming across it and adaptive to whatever situation is at hand to try to take it down. It's not an easy list to play. I will say that. So, that all being said, I have spoken great length about a lot of this <laughs> and you know tried to give some insight onto this because this is not just simply a matter of talking about a list this is a strength and weaknesses this is a shift in mentality and mindset that you have to get into when you are going to play this style of army and that is the most important lesson to take away here so that's it for this army list we'll talk about something else next time hopefully you guys found this informative let me know if you have any questions below Till next time guys take care